Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Jimmy Tingle Show. I am Jimmy, and I am really thrilled to have my guest here with us today. Priscilla H. Douglas is an executive coach, author, and moderator. Thousands of leaders in Fortune 500 companies have profited from her insights, empathy, and catalyzing energy to adapt and transform their business landscape. That's what I need. Somebody to transform the Tingle business landscape. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody needs that, Jimmy. <laughs> yes. Priscilla is the chair of the Boston Public Library's Board of Trustees, a panelist for the President's Commission on White House Fellowships. I love that. And on the board of the American Repertory Theater, the Boston Museum of Science, Leader Bank, and the International Women's Forum of Massachusetts. She was appointed by Governor William F. Weld. She was the first black woman to serve in the cabinet as Secretary of Consumer Affairs and Business Regulation. And that's another thing I need, business regulation. She speaks on innovation, leadership, organizational behavior at institutions and conferences around the world. And she is the recipient of Wellesley Center for Research on Women's Distinguished Service Award and the Abigail Adams Award given by the Massachusetts Women's Political Caucus in recognition of outstanding women leaders who have worked to achieve gender parity. Her latest book, ladies and gentlemen, and that's what we're here to talk about today, Woke Leadership, Profits, Profits, and Purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show my friend, Priscilla Douglas. Hello, Priscilla. Hi, Jimmy. I am so thrilled to be here side by side versus sitting in one of your audiences and looking forward to this conversation today. Well, thank you so much, Priscilla. It's great to see you. It's great to have you on the show. We're really proud of you. And thank you so much for your personal support over the years. You've come to many, many shows. And not only do I know Priscilla from the shows, I also know her from church. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Priscilla knows my mother. And Priscilla asked me at the last show if my mother's sense of humor rubbed off on me. And I would say, absolutely. My mother was the funniest one in the family. And she was funny when she wasn't even trying to be funny. And she was so supportive. And I'll give you just one example. When I first started doing the one-person shows, I started started at a little theater in Inman Square, Cambridge, called the Back Alley Theater. It held like 40 people, and this is like 1990. And 10 minutes before the show started, I looked through the curtain to see how many people showed up in the audience. In my old neighborhood, there was one person in the audience, my mother. <laughs> I looked at her. She looked at me. We both burst out laughing. I said, Mom, I can't believe you're the only person that showed up. Oh, don't worry. Your father's parking the car. <laughs> <laughs> she was just the best. And the, and the downside, of course, is here we are at mass and she'd have me cracking up. Yeah, <laughs> she would talk all during mass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I have to tell you, Priscilla, she, like you, was very woke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was very, very woke. And so are you. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you. I know you used to work for Governor Weld. Tell me, was Governor Weld a good example of a woke leader? Yes, absolutely. And here's why. I was the first, and I think I'm still the only black woman, to be in the cabinet in the history of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Wow. And when Governor Weld swore me in as Secretary of Consumer Affairs and Business Regulation, I said, I'm not the first black woman with the talent. I'm the first black woman to be given the opportunity. 
And our cabinet, you know, we had six women. We had three people of color. Uh, Governor Wells' chief of staff was was gay. He appointed the first woman, Margaret Marshall, uh, Mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court. So, yes, definitely good old Governor Weld. Good. Well, that's really uplifting to hear. We're very proud of our governors here in Massachusetts. On both sides of the aisle, we've been we've been very fortunate to have sophisticated, forward-thinking, progressive leadership, and we're lucky to live in Massachusetts, and you remind us of that today. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. I got your book. I got it at the Harvard Bookstore, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, you can get it at Amazon, Kindle, and through your favorite independent bookstore, and be sure to visit PriscillaDouglas.com and follow Priscilla on social media. I got it at the Harvard Bookstore, Priscilla. I ordered it. I said, I need woke leadership, please. And they said, we'll have it for you in two days. Yes. Supporting our independent bookstores is really, really important, Jimmy, particularly during uh, this pandemic. So just go to your local bookstore and they will get the book in for you. Great. This thing with woke leadership now during COVID seems to me one of the most timely topics. I had no idea when I started writing this back in 2018 that who would think we would be in the middle of uh, this pandemic? And one of the things that's obvious is that we're all connected. And woke mm. leaders are particularly attuned and attentive to that connectedness. Well, Priscilla, what I loved about the book, it starts off with your personal story. Just for the purpose of our of viewing audience, please tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from the area, born and raised here in Massachusetts. Yes, thank you. I grew up in Bedford, Massachusetts on a pig farm. And one of the things of growing up on a pig farm is the rules are quite simple. You don't work, you don't eat. (laughs) And it's a, it's a 24 seven type of environment in that you have to take care of the pigs every single day. They need to be fed. They need to be taken care of. And that's a 24 seven, 365. I don't think I even knew that people took weekends off until I was in my 30s. I thought people worked seven days a week. (laughs) Well, no wonder you have such a great work ethic. My dad was raised on a farm in North Carolina, and he was one of nine children. And he said, we didn't buy anything at the store. Everything we got, except I think sugar or salt, or maybe both, sugar and salt, maybe they got from the store. But everything else, they grew on the farm. Was that your experience as well? Absolutely. And one of the things my mother would always say is, you know, we eat everything on the pig except for the oink. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, when you grow up on a farm, you're automatically connected to nature. You're connected to the seasons. You have a temporality which differs significantly from people that are not connected with nature. And one of the characteristics of these woke leaders is that they see themselves in that particular context. They see the interconnection with things Mm -hmm. and they're able to live in this kind of multiplicity of environments. When did you first hear the term woke? Because it's everywhere now. So when I started thinking about what are the characteristics, what is it that makes these leaders who are innovative, they're able to pivot, they're empathetic, they're compassionate, they had They have something special about them. And the only term that seemed to fit that was woke. The term came from the um, blues singer, Lead Belly. Really? In 1938, he used the term woke 
He said, if you go through the South, you need to be woke. Obviously, so the Klan, if you're black and you're traveling through the South, you need to be aware of your context. You need to be alert and attentive so that the Ku Klux Klan doesn't get you. So it's really a term that goes back quite a ways, but it meant to be alert, to be aware, to be on guard, shall we say? Yes, absolutely, on guard. But woke leaders are not just on guard. They are open to opportunities. You know, they see things that other people don't see. The contemporary term and the way everybody talks about it now is very politicized. It implies uh, political correctness. It implies different forms of speech and different definitions. But the examples that you use are not political people in this book initially. Well, some of them are. I mean, you have Marty Walsh as a woke leader, but you also have Henry Ford. You have Howard Schultz. You have uh, Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin Airlines. Mary Barra, the the CEO of General Motors, first woman to lead an American automobile company. What do these people have in common that makes them woke? What they have in common is that most have had what I call an outsider experience. They've been on the outside looking in. So remember, I was saying that if you're woke, you have this ability to interact and, and with your context. You're alert to your context, not just on guard. You're also open to opportunities. You're somebody who's been on the margins and therefore can look into the mainstream. So when I think about you, Jimmy, and I think about you driving around with your dad in the taxi and going to all these different places around Cambridge, you were on the outside looking in. I was on the pig farm looking in. Marty Walsh, as a kid, suffered from Burkitt's lymphoma. He almost died as a child suffering for that, being in children's hospital. And from that outsider experience, he developed compassion. And he developed a way of interacting with people. And that got doubled down when he overcame alcoholism Mm -hmm. and the 12 steps. And so Marty Walsh is a good example of somebody who navigates on the outside and is very inclusive. When you talk about growing up in Bedford on a pig farm, um, there weren't a lot of pig farms, I take it, in Bedford, Massachusetts, and there probably weren't a lot of black families. So is that an example of being on the outside looking in? Yes, it is. Yes, we were the only black family in the first black family in Bedford. The outsider experience, though, doesn't have to be one in terms of being the only one, but there's almost always something about a person. They could be too tall. They could be too short. They could be gay. They could have a physical challenge. They could stutter. Almost everybody has had an experience of being an outsider. And the way that they navigate that, the way that they make it part of themselves, meaning in a a holistic, in a healing way, they take that sensibility and are able to connect with other people. They kind of say, wow, I had that experience about being excluded. So now I'm going to be an inclusive person. So there's an element of empathy when it comes to wokeness then. Yes. Empathy is at the heart of it. And it's not sympathy. It's being able to see yourself in another person. And people have compassion as a a result of that. And yes, that's at the heart of being a woke leader is empathy and compassion. So why do you think right now 
that this very general term that seems very mainstream, why do you think that's gone to a level of where it's a very loaded term now being woke? It is a loaded term uh, and it's been weaponized and it's been taken out of its context. It's been separated from the origin story that I told you about with, with Lead Belly. And I'll be straight with you. The right is very, very good at taking words and weaponizing them. Newt Gingrich wrote in his manifesto in, I think it was 1978, about the fact that the Republican Party needed to capture language, capture words, capture language. And so let's say Ku Klux Klan, right? They took the term Ku Klux Klan and turned that into white nationalism. Mm-hmm. They turned that into alt-right. They turned that into patriots, right? So the uh, other side is very, very good at taking words and weaponizing them. And I'm sorry to say that the folks on the left, led by uh, uh, James Carville, have run away from the term. They've run away from the term saying, oh, those are just a bunch of professors thinking about being woke. I've held fast because that term is owned by people of color. It lives in a context. You have to be woke awake. There is no substitute for the word woke. And I'm hoping that when people really take a look at its meaning, being attentive and being alert and being aware and being inclusive, that we will go back to its original meaning. So there's been a demonization of the term woke. So the only way to counteract that is through action and uh, just reinforcing what the true meaning of it is and what the purpose of it is. And that's why I tell people, even though uh, this whole demonization happened right around when I published the book in April and people say, oh, no, you picked a terrible title. And I said, wait and let's take a look at who really owns this language. We own this language. This is what it means to be attentive, to be alert, to be aware of your context, to be open to opportunities, to be inclusive. And woke leadership is something that has been around for a very, very long time. And it's going to continue to be around because the qualities of it, the qualities of woke leadership is the style that's needed to take us into the 21st century and beyond. Right now, we're obviously in a a time of new awareness, especially around racial justice and equity and income inequality. So in a sense, woke would mean to wake up, to be aware of what's happening in our society and how we can build a better society. Yes. And partly that better society is recognizing that everything is connected to everything, which is connected to everything. That's why I uh, have the title woke leadership, profit, profits, and purpose. We're in a new economy. We're in an equity economy. And this equity economy really mirrors the change in global demographics. Things are changing. And in 2019, the Business Roundtable, that's an association of CEOs of America's leading companies, they pivoted and they moved away from Milton Friedman's free market the shareholder takes everything, to saying that we care about the health and sustainability of the communities in which we operate. That was huge. 
Yeah, the triple bottom line. Yes. For companies. What are you doing for your employees? What are you doing for your customers? And what are you doing for the environment where the business operates? Do you think that's going to take hold and be more of the public dialogue moving forward? It, it's already taken hold. And it's been taken hold because um, of uh, people's purchasing habits. You can look mm. at what are people buying? People are moving away from animal products, right? And when people make a decision about where they want to work, they want to work in an organization that's doing good things, that's really cares about the planet. Regeneration is part of that virtuous cycle. And in terms of regeneration, are you talking environmentally? Or are you talking about democracy, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of expression? All of that. Because the companies that care about a regenerative environment know that you can't separate people, prosperity from the planet. Mm -hmm. They're all related. We're in this global equity economy, and it ties back to the United Nations, the Sustainable Development Goals. This was really a surprise to me. When I started looking at this, these leaders, I realized that almost all of them were following the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which have to do with making certain that women have education, that making certain that people have health care, all of those things in place. So we're in that economy right now. And people are voting with their pocketbooks as much as they are with the ballots, correct? Yes, they are. They're making decisions about where am I going to purchase this? And it gets into, um, I know that you've been tracking this too, Jimmy. It's, are we paying people the right amount of money? You know, that was a big thing that we discovered with um, COVID is that the people, the essential workers were getting paid nothing. People should be getting $20, $30 an hour so that they have a true living wage. Especially the people on the front line who didn't have the opportunity to work from home. For example, a cashier at 7-Eleven or Cumberland Farms. They're on the front lines. They're dealing with the public every day. They didn't have a choice whether or not they went to work. And you're right. The lowest wage workers were some of the most essential people in the whole society. And that's what people are seeing. COVID has really pulled back the curtain. And we are an ecosystem. And I use that term in my book, ecosystem, and I don't mean environment. I mean, ecosystem is organic. In the beginning of my book, I am going to read this because I begin with this uh, Desmond Tutu, and I know you know him. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others. Affirming of others does not feel threatened that others are able and good for he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished when others are tortured or oppressed. That's an ecosystem. We're all connected. That makes sense? Yes, it does. And it's more true now than ever. In terms of messaging, who do you think are the most important messengers that we have out there in our society now. I'm really excited about that because now that we have many channels, we can have many voices. And instead of people looking to the top of an organization for the leader, and I talk a lot about this in my book, leaders and followers are interchangeable. So you might be the leader one day and a follower the next. 
The other thing is that we're participating in movements and people who are at the head of a movement might uh, trade off with somebody based on their expertise. Colin Kaepernick, right? He's a leader. I mean, I think about Simone Biles when she decided not to compete and talked about her mental health issue. That changes everything. So leadership and these voices about the kind of world that we want to live in, which is more humane and more caring and more compassionate and more fair and more equitable, these leaders can come from anywhere. I mean, I'm a big fan of Taylor Swift. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you have the cultural phenomena that's going on where entertainers are becoming voices. I mean, look at all the brouhaha now about Joe Rogan and his influence and the influences of podcasts and the influences of the Tingle Show on the world economy. It's uh, it's going to be remarkable. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. And your voice, Jimmy, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate is the work that you've done, Humor for Humanity. And that really ties in. I mean, I've been watching and following you, and I definitely consider you a woke leader because we need humor for helping. Right. We need humor for healing. And we need humor for hope. Ha, ha, ha. That's right. Thank you. You remember, you have a good memory, Priscilla. Humor and helping, humor and healing, humor and hope. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, Priscilla, it's also really important to have fun, right? And there's a term you use in your book called plork. Please explain to the audience what exactly is plork. Plork, P-L-O-R-K, is a term that was uh, created by Sister Coretta Kent. And you know, we love the sisters. We love the nuts. (laughs) So if you go up the expressway and you see the Boston gas tank, that painting, that was by Sister Coretta Kent. And she's the person who said that, you know, when you have play and work and they come together, there's an ecstasy in that. When people are really working and playing as part of it, it doesn't feel like work. Right. And that's the characteristic of these woke leaders. They're not really working. <laughs> it's not working meaning hard. They're working with passion and purpose. Right. They're in the zone. They're in the flow. Yes. Tell me, when you were writing this book, Priscilla, I mean, of course it's work, but was it gratifying? And did you feel like you were in the zone? And did you feel like you were in the flow of something greater than yourself, bringing these truths to the page and then to the public? I do. It's a blessing to be able to write and to share this message. And it's been so well received. It's very inspiring. I love reading about these examples that you give in the book of people who made a difference, think outside the box, are concerned about the community, and they're creating win-win-win situations. That's what it is. It's not just winner-take-all. They're creating win-win-win situations, whether it's in business or politics or social justice. Uh, It's uplifting, and it's right on time. And I Couldn't recommend the book highly enough. It's Woke Leadership by Priscilla Douglas. Priscilla, what else can you tell us about this book? What else can you tell us about where we can get it? And where can we find Priscilla Douglas? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. The format of the book is one in which you can really see in the stories of the people that are profiled, uh, whether it's Mary Barra uh, or Elon Musk 
or Howard Schultz or my favorite, uh, Charlie Munger and uh, uh, Warren Buffett from Berkshire Hathaway. You'll get a sense from the book of how things work and why these individuals are woke leaders and how they've been able to pivot their organizations in disruptive times. You can get the book on Amazon or at your any of your favorite bookstores. Coming by the end of the month will be an audio version. And you can find me on PriscillaDouglas.com. PriscillaDouglas.com. Priscilla, we wish you all the best. And please, folks, you want a little bit of uplifting reading. It's only about 90 pages, this whole book. It's Woke Leadership, Profits, Profits, and Purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, Priscilla Douglas. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you. Woke on. <laughs> Woke on, sister. <laughs>